rejoice that you have given to us your word and you have revealed it to us by your spirit through your son. We give thanks, Father, that we have your word for us and we have Christ in us. We pray, Father, that as we continue to feed upon your word, you would indeed feed us, that we might abide in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand as you're able to stand. We're going to read, picking up from John 14, and we're going to be reading down through John 15, verse 6. The text of this sermon will be John 15, verses 1 through 6. I'll read, I'm going to back up to verse 15 in, uh, in John 14. John 14, beginning at verse 15. You've heard these words already. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in, the fa- in my Father and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, 
and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Says the word of our God. Amen. Amen. Be seated. I love spring. Do you love spring? And I always like coming over here in the spring. Now we're a bit late this year, and the azaleas have already uh, finished blooming. But uh, I think that New Bern is one of the, next to Greenville, one of the prettiest cities there is anywhere in spring. Uh, and spring reminds us of a lot of things. It is the, the new life that comes after a dismal uh, winter. Uh, it is a reminder of the work of the Holy Spirit. As, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 104.30, you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. So it reminds us uh, of a twofold nature of the work of God. It reminds us of what he's doing in providence. Uh, there are no natural laws. I call them the habits of God. They're predictable because that's how God's made the world. But it's the Holy Spirit in the spring who's causing... Uh, grass to turn green and the trees to bud and the flowers to bloom. But of course, God's appointed that to be a, a picture to us of what the Spirit does in our lives. Um, after our winter of unregenerate state, uh, we then are born anew, and there is in us, by God's grace, a perpetual spring, a springing up and ever-increasing holiness, or as Christ will explain it here in John chapter 15, an ever-increasing fruitfulness in the world. Fruit is born only certain times of the year. In the new world that is ours in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit of Christ indwells us, there is to be a regular perpetual fruitfulness. And that's what we're going to consider in this hour as we, in chapter 14, have wrapped up the initial uh, teaching of Christ with respect to comfort. You notice how in the end of chapter 14 he has uh, repeated, Peace I leave with you, let not your hearts be troubled, do not be fearful. And that's because of everything that's been packed in between that, that because the Spirit indwells us, the Son indwells us, and then the most remarkable uh, promise that the Father and the Son come and commune with us if... We are keeping the commandments of the Son, uh, and the Son keeps the commandments of the Father. I thought that was interesting, don't you? I think it's interesting that because he loves the Father, he keeps the Father's commandments. Now he's referring there to himself again as the Christ, who is indeed inferior to the Father. He has come to fulfill the Father's word. But because he loves the Father, then he's submitted to all. So even though the evil one is coming and has nothing to clatch onto him, He's submitting to everything, but he's doing it for our sake. Now, chapter 15, he picks up on the condition, the preamble that we had back in uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And that leads to the Spirit's abiding in us. Well, what's going to happen because the Spirit is abiding in us? Well, he says here that we are going to bear fruit to the glory of God that the, the true Christian uh, is going to bear fruit to the glory of God by abiding in Christ. The true Christian bears fruit to the glory of God by abiding in 
Christ. We're going to consider three things. We're going to look at the necessity of this fruit, uh, the nature of the fruit, and the nurture of the fruit. The nature, the, the necessity, the nature, and the nurture. Well, we begin then with the necessity of uh, the fruit. As uh, Christ says, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, now the figure here goes back to the Old Testament. Perhaps you remember uh, Isaiah chapter 5, which is the, one of the most uh, comprehensive statements of this. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. He dug it all around, removed its stones. He planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it. He also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless grapes. Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll remove its hedge and it'll be consumed. I'll break down its wall. It'll become trampled ground. I'll lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed. But briars and thorns will come up and I will also charge the clouds to rain, no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Now here in Isaiah chapter 5, we see that the vineyard uh, is, in fact, the church of the Lord God in the Old Covenant, and God is the, the, the vine dresser, is the farmer. Well, obviously Christ has that in mind as he picks up these figures now, uh, where he says, I am the true vine. And in that, he's reminding us that he is the fulfillment of Israel. He is the true Israel. And where uh, covenant Israel failed in the old covenant, he's come to accomplish completely that which Israel is to be. Namely, he as the suffering servant is going to accomplish the purposes of the Lord. So now he tells us that he himself is the vine and he is the true vine. Remember, this means he is the genuine one, the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies, as we saw last night. And my father is the vine dresser, or the cultivator. And so here we see God the Father now being the one who is um, cultivating the fruit. And this is why it's going to be necessary. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So it immediately distinguishes now that within these branches, there are two types of branches. Now, at this point, um, you can get into a real conundrum, and I had a lengthy interchange with a, uh, a man a number of years ago. He insisted every one of these branches was in Christ by spiritual union. Now, there's no sane commentator that takes that position. But anyway, uh, what we have here is the member of the church. So Christ, as the true church now, is still the symbol of the church. 
and in the church by covenant and by profession, everyone who is in the church by covenant circumcision or baptism, by profession of faith, is considered to be a branch in the true vine, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So every one of you here today, unless one of you is not a member of the church, every non-communicant member, every communicant member is considered to be a branch that is engrafted into the true vine, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of those branches have no life in them. Now remember, it's the Holy Spirit who indwells us, right? And the Holy Spirit is the sap, so to speak, between the root of the true vine and each one of us who are living branches in the true vine. And so because the Holy Spirit is abiding in us, he's going to be the one producing this fruit. But other branches are only in, um, well, be as if you uh, a stage for a play and you glued or nailed branches and, and, to, and make a fake tree. Or, uh, you know, it's this time of the year that we begin to see that, well, not all the branches on that tree are living. Uh, they don't have any leaves on them, do they? And if a, branch, if a branch doesn't have leaves, what do you know about it? It's dead. It's dead. It either falls off on its own. Uh, we have these windstorms in Greenville, and going all the way back to the terrible ice storm years ago, we still have branches, and it's not safe to walk in my backyard during a windstorm. <laughs> they fall off. Uh, others there remain there, and they're going to have to be lopped off when uh, the tree man comes to, uh, to lop them off. But if they're not bearing fruit, then he's going to take away every branch. Many are obvious in this life, as uh, Paul will say in 1 Timothy 5.24, the sins of some men are quite evident going before them to judgment. That's going to be clearly the case. Others their sins will follow after. So this morning, if you're not truly engrafted into Christ, for most of you that will become evident in this life. But some of you will live out your days in the church deceiving others, maybe even deceiving yourself, and only be at the last day that you will, uh, to your great chagrin, discover the fact that you were never in Christ. And you should know that now, because you're fruitless. That's what we talk about, the necessity of fruit. If you're in Christ, you bear fruit. So what does he go on to say? He takes away every branch um, that does not bear fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now we have a wonderful play on words here that does not come out uh, in the English uh, the word prune, which is useful for the figure that we have, is actually the word to purge or to clean. And it's, it's the verb form of you're already clean uh, that is used in, in verse 3. So he's basically saying that um, every branch that bears fruit, the father, the cultivator, purges it or cleanses it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So there's two things at uh, play here. The first is, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have been cleansed, not just from the guilt of sin, but the defilement of sin. Recently, reading Leviticus, I was struck with the, the order. 
and I haven't looked this up, but I think it, I think it's correct. So you've got the sin offering and the guilt offering. You've got these uh, redemptive sacrifices, and they primarily deal with the guilt of sin. And then we start after the priesthood uh, in chapter 11 with things that defile. And you've got uh, different things that defile, and you've got leprosy, all the other things, unclean foods. And what we have here is that uh, in the redemption is our justification and acceptance, which is taking place once and for all. But uh, we need cleansing because we live in a world where we are daily defiled. And we have hearts that daily defile us with those wicked thoughts that come up from the lust that lies within. And so that we go to confess our sins, we're not going to get new acceptance. We're confessing our sins to be cleansed so that we may enjoy God and walk with him. Now that's what's going on here. So he says in verse 3 that if you're a true branch, you have been cleansed. In other words, you put the two things together initially. You are, in fact, accepted in Christ and God has cleansed you. It's the same word he uses when Peter doesn't want him to wash his feet, and he says that um, if you don't wash my feet, you have nothing. If I don't wash you, you have nothing in me. And he said, not just my feet, but all of me. And the Lord says, you all are clean. And he's talking there about the fact that he has removed not just the, the guilt, but the defilement of sin. And we're cleansed by the word of the Spirit. So he says... Uh, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And the word spoken is made effective uh, by the Spirit. Uh, Christ himself making it effective in their lives. It's the Spirit that makes it effective in our lives. And here we see the, the role of the word in our being initially cleansed and engrafted into the tree. And so our sins are pardoned and we are engrafted into this tree of Christ and we have been cleansed from the defilement of sin that separates us from communion and, and fellowship with the triune God. But because we live in the world, we daily are defiled, aren't we? Uh, William Perkins, uh, in a piece on Isaiah chapter 6, where he was dealing with a uh, call to the ministry, and Isaiah's call, but he, he, Isaiah confesses, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Perkins observes that even the minister cannot escape something of the defilement of the culture where he lives. It's very sobering. And none of us can. You understand that? We, we live in the world, not of the world, but we live in the world, which means that uh, we are going to be defiled. I have a friend in, in Houston that I've jokingly said that, um, you know, we could be out walking and he could walk through a mud puddle and his suit would be fine. I'd walk around the mud puddle and my suit would have mud on it. Uh, a bit of an exaggeration, but it's just things that happen to me. Anyway, I get defiled. You see, we get defiled by the filth of the world. We get defiled morally by what's in the world. So what is the Father doing for us? Well, he is purging us or cleaning us. Now, the proper figure here, because of the vine, is that he is pruning us. And you know, if you have anything to do with, with 
roses or with fruit trees or whatever, that it, if they're going to bear and they're going to prosper, they have to be pruned. Even good branches, you cut back on them. Uh, but here the Father is cutting away anything from us that is going to further our defilement and hinder our fruit bearing, because fruit bearing is necessary. Now, perhaps it's already come to mind, how does the Father prune us, cleanse us? Well, Hebrews 12 opens this up uh, for us, um, beginning with verse 4. You've not resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, quoting here Proverbs 3, nor faint when you're reproved by him, for whom... For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. Of course, the figure here now is the family figure, but you'll see the parallel. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you're disciplined, but if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. We respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. It seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields what? the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You see the parallel. This purging or pruning, this cleansing that the cultivator is doing with his divine shears is the Father's discipline. And he's disciplining us to root out of us uh, sin and love of sin and patterns of sin and uh, the things that defile. Now sometimes your discipline will obviously be related to direct punishments, just as when we punish our children, it is to correct certain behavior. But oftentimes, the Father's discipline is merely to train us, and we do that with our children as well. We will not allow them certain things at certain times, or we might give them more difficult tasks to do in order to stretch them. Um, and and thus, the the range of the Father's discipline is... Uh, you know, it's not the mistake of Job's friends that he is being punished because he's evil. No, God never punishes any of his children. He will discipline us. I think one time in 1 Corinthians 11, as Dan and I have discussed this, that uh, the word punish or judgment's used there, but it is a corrective work in uh, God's disciplining us. It is cutting off bad branches. Why? so that we'll be more fruitful. Why? Because of the necessity of bearing fruit. So if you're not bearing fruit, you're going to be lopped off either now or at the end of the age. And if you are bearing fruit, then God is going to cultivate that fruit within you because it's necessary. Well, you see the importance then of fruit bearing. So seeing this necessity, what then is the nature of this fruit? Well, we just intimated uh, there in Hebrews chapter 12, that it is the fruit of righteousness. 
It's also intimated in the end of the section we read in Isaiah chapter 5. Verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. He looked for justice, behold bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold a cry of distress. Or James puts it when he speaks of heavenly wisdom in James 3, 17 and 18, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. Answer unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Why trust comes to mind. And you know, Galatians is not the only, every one of Paul's letters somewhere that's going to be fruit of the Spirit. But the most full statement is here in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. You can think of those first three as relating relationship to God, love, joy, and peace. Next three to uh, your neighbor, uh, uh, patience, um, uh, goodness, and uh, 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 faithful, uh, patience, kindness, and goodness. And then your life before God in the world, that's faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. This is the composite of the fruit. This is the summary of what happens as the Spirit works in our lives the love of God to keep the commandments because what appears then as we do that thing are these fruit of righteousness. Never perfect uh, in this life. So not only are the branches going to be pruned, but we understand that because there's in us yet a remnant of sin that uh, we are um, not ever going to have perfect fruit. It's in a cluster. Uh, but we desire to grow in our fruitfulness because God is glorified, isn't he, when we uh, live then um, according to him. And this is the whole purpose of the work now of the Holy Spirit in us is that we then might be pure or clean because of the word which is working these things in us by the Spirit. So we don't need to stay long on the nature of the fruit. I trust that you understand what it is. But having seen the necessity and nature of the fruit, I've used the word nurture to give you some ends. We're talking about the cultivation of that fruit. Uh, How do you cultivate fruit in your life? Now, we've already talked about God the cultivator. And I went back and forth where to deal with verse 2 here or where it is in the flow of the text. It works in both places. The important thing to know is that he's not going to leave you alone, that not only is he doing this, but as the farmer, he is the cultivator, and he's actively cultivating fruit in your life. But here in the text, the primary responsibility now falls on you to be a continued fruit bearer. And so he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. He just repeats himself. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we have a series of commandments. Abide in me is a commandment. Christ says that he will abide in us. Um, 
So we abide in Christ as the word blessed by the Spirit takes hold of us, the Spirit regenerates us, and we take hold of Christ uh, as Lord and Savior. And then as we intimated last hour, by his Spirit, he indwells us. So Christ is abiding in us. We then must be actively abiding in Christ, resting in him, not just for our justification and adoption, but resting in him for our sanctification, or to follow the figure of the text, resting in him uh, for fruitfulness. For he concludes in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we get to the Pauline theology here, Christ in you. He has begun a good work in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, uh, as we are brought into the branch, Christ, as I said, by his Spirit, that's the sap that's flowing through, Christ is abiding in you. Remember, this is the triune God abiding in you, who says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but because he is in us, Paul says, I can do all things. Not that he can live sinlessly, but he can live victoriously in the sense that daily die to sin and grow in righteousness in order to bear fruit. So Christ is in you. That's what it means for you to be in the vine. But then, how do you abide in Christ? I've said you take hold of him. You rest in him for your salvation. But now how do you continue to abide in Christ? Well, he says that you actively depend upon him. Remember we talked last night, faith's not a static thing. Faith is a dynamic thing. Faith grows, and God puts us through the ringer. He tests us as the cultivator, and part of that is then that faith is going to, to grow and prosper. So we abide in Christ as we are continually resting in him, not just for our sanctification, but for everything we need, which he's promised to give to us by the Holy Spirit. And so we actively rest in him by faith. Because we, he te- we abide in him by abiding in his word. We get back again. If you love me, you keep my commandments. You must know the word, love the word, the commandments of the word, the doctrines of the word, the promises of the word, the threatenings of the word. You constantly dwell in the word of God. You feed on the word of God. Thus the importance of daily feeding in scripture on your own as families and above all the primary means of grace being under the preaching of the word of God in weekly worship morning and evening. If you're really serious about abiding in Christ, you are going to abide in his word. And then this constant dependence upon the spirit of which we spoke in the last hour. Remember, to abide in Christ is to abide in the spirit who abides in us. And so we're seeking the sanctifier himself, the Holy Spirit, to be the one that is enabling us daily to die to sin and to grow in holiness, mortification, to put it off. Ask God to clip it off um, ourselves to, in faith, uh, avoid the occasions, uh, the temptations, the, the lifestyle, anything that's going to 
be in us defiling or working in us temptation, and that the Spirit would apply to us the death of Christ on the cross and put to death the remnant of sin that is in us. And thus we abide in Christ. That's how you're going to cultivate fruit. You're to be committed to all the means of grace. Mention the word, but prayer has already come out. If you're resting in Christ, if you're seeking the Spirit, um, you are praying, you are depending upon God, you're making use of the sacraments then that are the glorious uh, signs and seals that God has given to us so that we may bear fruit. So tomorrow morning we will come to the Lord's table. I love Calvin's expression with respect to the old covenant ceremony. He says they're, they're ladders to God. And they had a lot of ladders because they had much less knowledge than we have. But we still have these two ladders, don't we? The ladder of your baptism, which you can mount up unto God's grace and glory, and the ladder of the Lord's Supper, which are means to bring us into the presence of God, and we can abide in Him. And of course, Christian communion and fellowship. If you don't want the defilement of the world, where do you hang out primarily? With brothers and sisters in Christ. Not that we leave the world. We're to be leavened in the world. We want to be witnesses. We should seek to cultivate friendships with non-Christians, but it must always be on our terms and not their terms. Not where they want to bring us down, but we will lovingly, as friends, bring them over. But we don't spend the majority of our time with non-Christians. Now, some of you have to work with non-Christians the majority of your time. Now, that should make more precious to you Christian fellowship of the prayer meeting and the Lord's Day. Shouldn't it? I mean, I can't imagine having to live the way you live. I'm, you know, Pastor and I live in a pretty sheltered world. Uh, we have to put up with you guys, but you know, that's, that's not the world. It's sometimes goats, but no, you know what I mean. Uh, we're blessed, and you're not in that regard. Uh, you live in a difficult place, uh, and thus you should cherish every opportunity for Christian fellowship. Don't cut yourself off. Sometimes you're going to get depressed, and when you get depressed, what is your modus operandi? Isolate. Well, then you're not getting the strength of the body, are you? You're really getting defiled if you wallow in your depression. Now, I, I, don't take me wrong. Depression's hard. But if you give in to it, it's only worse. That's what you have to understand. You seek out the body of Christ. You seek out the means of grace. You don't absent yourselves because you must be abiding in Christ and avoiding the defilement of the world. And thus this, this nature, uh, this need, uh, this responsibility that we have. And, but he concludes with a warning as he speaks here of cultivation. One more time. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. Christ uses this figure in one of his parables in Matthew 13. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, that's the they. They will gather you out of his kingdom, all stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the end of anyone who is a professor in the church but is not bearing fruit. And don't, don't
don't you dare at this point say, but look, once saved, always saved. And I'm in the church. That's why our standards refer to the perseverance of the saints. It's absolutely true, once saved, always saved. But now if you look at this passage, once saved means what? It means you're bearing fruit, right? It could mean anything else. If you're not bearing fruit, you're not saved. Once saved means you're a fruit bearer. Now, you might be a weak fruit bearer. You might really have some bad apples. But you're still bearing fruit. But if there's no fruit, that's the warning. It doesn't matter what you've said, what you know, what you profess, how long you've been in the church, how much service you offer in the church. Please understand me. Because if you're in Christ, the Spirit of Christ is in you as truly as a vine, a branch is in the vine, and there's life. There's no life in you. That means you're yet in Christ. And what you need to do right now is own that reality, repent of your hypocrisy, and ask God to convert you, which he will. And those of us then who are in Christ... Recognize that every true Christian will bear fruit as we abide in Christ. And so, as you wrestle with this, A, don't be discouraged. We all live in a difficult world and we have yet difficult hearts. And God understands that. And thus, I always want to remind you, as, as most forcefully I point you to the necessity of obedience, is our Lord Jesus Christ is the means of daily pardon. And he pardons. If you'll simply own your struggles, you know that he forgives you of your lack of cleanliness. But also know that he is the Christ who's been raised, who has sent his spirit to indwell us, and there is within you a supernatural power. So do not despair. Right? You know, God's not finished with us yet. It won't be until we pass over or until he comes. But don't despair. He is going to keep working in you. Now cry out to him. Plead with him to come and make you more fruitful. But just remember, he's the one that does it. So as much as I lay upon you a responsibility to abide in Christ, just remember as you abide in Christ, it's Christ who abides in you. And he is going to produce the fruit. Let us pray. Glorious God, we thank you for this um, figure of the vine and the branch that you give to us, Lord, to remind us of Christ, the true church, in whom we are engrafted, the true Savior, as the church, and that you, Lord, have come inspecting, and you want the body, the church, to bear fruit, and you want us individuals to bear fruit, and we ask that your Spirit will grant that to us. Increasingly, Lord, may we not be satisfied. May we hunger and thirst for righteousness, knowing that we shall be filled. And Lord, if there is anyone here this day who, looking at his or her life, uh, would come to the conclusion that there's no fruit there, that your spirit might not allow them to turn away in anger or frustration or frustration or um, despair, but rather to come to you, Lord the great God of mercy. Amen.